studios to the world, we bring you the finest in quality entertainment. So pop some popcorn, grab a smooch buddy, and settle in for another fine show from ComedySlamRadio.com. It's time for the Let's Be Frank show, where we get frank with your favorite celebrity and national touring comedians. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Be Frank Show. And if you miss our live broadcast on Comedy Slam Radio, find us on Stitcher Radio, Podomatic, and iTunes at Let's Be Frank's Podcast. Keep laughing, my friends. Good evening. And welcome back to the Let's Be Frank show, the first show of the year. Happy New Year, Gwiggy. Happy New Year, brother. Happy Good New Year to all the fans. We are starting with a great show, even though you're here. Yeah. I'm bringing, right. I'm bringing in the New Year with Gwiggy, but we have <laughs> comedian Corey Kahaney with us. How are you, Corey? Good to be here. Thank you very much for taking some time out. I know this is the reschedule of the original one. You had something pop up and... We, you know, I think it was the end of last year, in November or December, we were going to do the show, but I was happy to get it yes. rescheduled. <laughs> and and not only did she cancel, but she canceled with two names of people to fill in her spot. She's like, listen, Dave, oh, I nice. got to cancel, but here. And, and was it was it Wally? That it was we, Wally. Wally oh, well, nice. Collins, yeah. right? And I think you did that show with me as well. Yeah. So all class, all the way. She's like, Dave, Definitely. I got to cancel. I'm but, glad- I'm glad Wally was good. Oh, it, it was a great show. He he was very entertaining, and he's got the uh, why can't I? I'm gonna. He's got you the website. Know. You never know. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. He's like you never know. It, 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 everything. He was a really nice guy. But uh, let's talk more about you. Well, you know, I also have a tagline. You know, like get her done. Awesome. Oh, nice. My tagline. My tagline's long, but it's uh, take my advice. I'm not using it. <laughs> nice. now, now how did you develop that uh i just realized how great i was at giving people advice in life based on so many of the mistakes that i've made you know i mean it takes a certain number of years you have to be seasoned to have the knowledge and the the wealth of life experience that i have so, I mean, you know, there, I'm a walking textbook of life lessons, you know, like don't use your wife's credit card for your girlfriend's abortion. I mean, these are things that just little things that you should know. And, yes. you know, I'm always there. So you didn't I, take I that recommend. advice. You didn't use your, your credit card for your, your girlfriend's uh, Maybe that's abortion. why she doesn't. That maybe happens? that's why she's on a second husband. Personal experience did. or something. <laughs> you know, sometimes these are things that, you know, I saw happen Nice. To a neighbor, a friend, an acquaintance, a sister, uh, you know, it that was kind the, of thing. It, it was the sister. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she said that last. And with as much conviction, she's like, a sister. A matter, let's be frank, it was yeah. a sister. <laughs> so, so Corey, let, let's get into it. About 20 years ago, you get into comedy. What in the hell makes you decide to get into this whacked out business? Well, it wasn't a smart move by any means. I have to tell you, I was a single—I was a single mother. I had a uh, a Manhattan rent, and I had a corporate job with a corner office. I was—I was, you know, for twenty-nine. It was a pretty accomplished life. I had—I was living. Oh, I mean, even twenty people. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, kind right. of, what kind of corporate job did you have? That sounds interesting. I was a director of catering for a major hotel, and so everyone who worked for me, uh, I, I ran. You know, all the conferences, all the catering, all the, you know, catering sales. I did weddings. It, it was, I, I, my hours were as crazy and horrible as they were far worse than comedy. I mean, sometimes yeah. I would have to be at work at seven and I would be there until one o'clock in the morning. And it was, it was really crazy. But I had this perfect storm was going on because some of the people that were on my staff, the guy who worked the uh, coat check at Catch a Rising Star was working for me. With the bartender at Dangerfields was working for me part time. Uh, I was uh, dating a comedian, and there was just the universe was just screaming, "This is what you should be doing." And you know, because everybody who worked for me was in show business, they were all telling me I should be a comedian. And I actually had this reputation 
of being the funniest woman in food service, and this is an interesting fact, not a lot of people are looking for the funniest woman in uh, food service. <laughs> it wasn't an asset. Nice. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I remember what happened was I got fired from this job, and that's a whole story for another. It was just one of those crazy things. And uh, in, in the restaurant business, you know, that kind of thing happens. Yeah. You, know, you could be a king one day, and then the next day something bad happens, and you're gone. And... Uh, I was invited by two of the waitresses to go to one of these places that had singing and stand-up. They don't even have those anymore. Yeah. Like know? for an open it, mic? It was an open mic, but it was at a, a place called Ye Old Triple Inn, and they had stand-up and singing, and they were both singers. And I said, I'll go. And, I, you know, I had been writing my act in my head for five years. I mean, even though I was kind of lying to myself, I had the act, I had the five minutes ready. Right. And... Um, it was a rough bar. It was, a, it was called the Ye Old Triple N, and there was a dartboard, and the dartboard was on the same wall as the stage, and oh. it was about four feet from my head. And, and they played I, right through your first and set. you really needed to get their attention because you didn't want darts flying <laughs> uh, at your face. Absolutely. And I, I just remember that uh, first everybody got quiet, so clearly I, I had grabbed their attention, and then I got laughs, and then at one point there was an actual applause, and I thought, oh, maybe I could do this as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can't really do stand-up as a hobby. <clears throat> and it that doesn't was, work out. Yeah. It, it, was, it was really, I don't know. I was like, I was just going to do it twice a week. And then it was never twice a week. So from the first time on stage, you just caught that comedy <laughs> flu. Yeah, I, I, I think that... It was painful in a way because once you find something that you're supposed to be doing, it's going to sound very uh, sappy, but I believe it's true. I think when you find that thing you're supposed to be doing, it's it's almost painful because you know that it's going to be a hard life, but there's no turning back. Right. It, it really was painful. I remember when somebody said, you know, what do you really want to do? I, maybe it was a therapist or something. And I mm-hmm. just said, I want to be a stand-up comic, and I was so angry. For the rest that, at that person and for the rest of the day, it was like, oh, no, this is the worst choice anybody could possibly make. Horrible, <laughs> horrible choice, right. you know, and because in the beginning, I mean, it's just it's brutal. You just yeah. have to you have to, you know, show up and, and wait till 30 people go on and hope that you get on. And if somebody's if somebody more important than you shows up, you don't go on. And it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that. Uh, now, I know down here, I mean, there, there's almost an open mic almost every single night within the <laughs> yeah, Tampa Bay cool. area that you can get to. Um, I think around here, getting on stage isn't that hard if you're just willing to get out there and be up until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. which right. that's the hard part for me because I have a career and I'm kind of doing the show and I do comedy as a hobby, although lately I haven't participated. It's been like two and a half months since I actually have been on stage doing comedy. Which is horrible. Well, Isn't that, doesn't that make me like a piece of crap comedian? <laughs> well, it, it makes you not a very well-practicing comedian. I'm not a very well. I haven't practiced. Although, I think I'm going to redo a lot of my jokes. I'm going to start talking a lot more about stuff from the last show, uh, getting yeah. a little personal. Yeah. Uh, how did you start off with comedy? Did you start off doing personal stories or just right out of the gate made up stuff and creative? Well, I always did stuff that was gleaned from my life. And you know, embellished a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I had a wealth. To, I had a wealth of uh, material to draw from. I mean, I was a divorced single mother, and you know, opinionated. And um, I, somebody described me as I, I don't suffer fools gladly. So that that <laughs> was a good formula. Oh, uh, somebody told me early on that if I if I speak the truth, my truth. It's gonna. The audience is gonna know it's the truth, and then they'll be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to speak to what you just said, I mean, I had a, a rule in my head very soon after I started doing stand-up that I had to do seven spots a week. So even if I was gonna take a day off, I, I would have to go and I, I would have to go and sit through the worst open mics, the ones that like were five o'clock and then one at seven. I mean, I would make sure I had seven spots under my belt before I could have any time off. 
I had wow. almost like an obsessive compulsive, you know, and I never had that kind of drive or focus in any other career in school or anything. But for some reason in stand up, I, I really, I took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know why there was just this incredible drive to, to move through and possibly because doors opened for me um, much quicker than they did in anything else I tried. So how I, I was long- really lucky. I got TV like in two years of I- doing stand up. Wow. So what was your first TV spot? It was uh, Girls Night Out, which was this uh, show that's very similar to Stand Up Stilettos that's going on right now, mm-hmm. but it was um, it was on Lifetime, and they, they had wonderful hosts. I mean, Andrew Martin hosted the one that I was on, wow. so that was really incredible to have Andrew Martin. Yeah. It was really cool, and, and it shut my parents up, thank God. You know, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? And... You know, I'm like, what do you mean? What I'm, doing? I'm on television. Watch me. There you go. Nice. Now, how how did that after that first spot on TV? How did uh how did it take off after that? Did all of a sudden you start getting paid more at each gig, or right from there? Were you no, calls? no, because girls doing girls' night out meant nothing in the real world of comedy. And basically, if you were a, a woman with at least three good jokes, you got on that show. I mean, I don't want to make anybody who didn't get that show feel bad. I'm sorry if you, you know, right. if you didn't get on that show. But you know, if you had three or four good laughs, every woman got on that show. I don't think comedians, you know, maybe no one's told you this before, but it's it's a it's a little bit of a boys' club what we do stand mm-hmm. up. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask <laughs> yeah. you about that. How, how do you deal with that little stigma that goes with it? And I mean, because you're obviously very good. You've been doing it for, you know, a very long time now. And you're past the point of being anybody being able to tell you that women can't do comedy because obviously they can right. and you can. So well, how, how because, does it feel? See, and, and uh, I'll, I'll say this, and that is that I realized I could never say that I'm competing with women. You, you know, women have to be, in my book at least, that they are – you know, like sisters, they're like, you know, they're contemporaries. I have to be as funny as the guys right. is mm-hmm. sort of the way that I approached it. I, you know, nobody, if somebody says, you know, you're one of the funniest women comics, it, it still to this day makes me like cringe. I'm like, I'm one of the funniest comics. Yeah. Well, what, are, what are you talking about? You I, know what I mean? <laughs> I pay my rent. I put a kid through college. I put another kid through private school. I must be doing something right. So it, it is important to me to compete with the boys and not to say, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the category of a, of a female comic. But now that I'm older, and I am competing, you know, because I'm now competing with age and gender, mm-hmm. I, do, uh, I do sort of occasionally use the, uh, you know, it's an all-boys club thing. The reason why I said that, you know, doing Girls Night Out, it doesn't really matter. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. It didn't really matter because the... the um, in the in the eyes of of my contemporaries who were male, I wasn't um, impressing anyone. And then about a year later, I got stand up stand up, which was on Comedy Central, mm-hmm. and that helped. So having two of them, sort of, that it, it took a while. Right. So eventually, after you have a little bit of TV, and then all of a sudden you you do the last comic standing. You have your 1999 U.S. Uh, the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival. Right. And Comedy that, Arts Festival was way before the uh, right. last comic standing. Right. That but, was in 1999. Right? Yeah. For me, though, I have to say, I, after I did, I did these two TV spots, and then I couldn't get another TV. Gig. I, I couldn't get on TV. It took me another six years to get on TV again. I had I, I kind of hit a wall, and I'm not sure what it was. And and so what I did was I spent like three months just going to comedy clubs and watching the comics who were getting on TV mm-hmm. to try to figure out what I was doing wrong. And it it all came down to one thing, and that was that I just didn't have a fast enough opening joke. Really? Okay. I know that sounds minor, but it was uh it was that's all it was. Well, they say if you don't pick it up with the first with your first or second joke, you lose the crowd. You know, rather quickly. It's hard to come back from that, they say. Yeah, very mm-hmm. hard. So, who were some of the, in the beginning, did you have lady comics that inspired you, or was it just, you know, everybody that you looked at? Did, was there any ladies that inspired you in the beginning? Were there any ladies? 
Well, <laughs> lady comedians versus the guys. Hello, Isn't... lady. There was, uh, listen, I was, I mean, my idol, my mentor was certainly Joy Behar. Not okay, just because right. she was a woman, but because we both started at the same age. You know, she, I think she was 29. And um, she was a single mom. And she was smart. She didn't just get up and do a dick joke. Uh, I, I had a lot of respect for Joy, and she was really well read. I, I to this day, she's probably still a smarter comedian than me because she, you know, she reads. Uh, she's very political and that kind of thing. But Joy Behar was very much a, 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 you know, a mentor of mine. I don't think she considers herself my mentor, but uh, I consider her my mentor. And I also I looked up to Jeffrey Ross a lot because I worked with. I don't know why, but I was fortunate enough to work with him a lot. And he was way—he was further along than me, and he was very generous with his advice, and um, he gave me a lot of really good direction. Susie Essman was also very generous, and oh, will take my phone call to this day. You know, oh, if cool. I hit the wall about something, and you know, give me advice. So when you say hit the wall, is it you're trying to write a joke and you don't know which way to come at it? No, that's never been the problem. I, I'm I, I'm a pretty confident joke writer. Mm -hmm. it, it's more just, you know, how to deal with the industry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I remember one time I called Susie Essman and I was like, I don't know, you know, I, if I should take this gig because it just seems unfair. So-and-so got so much money and I didn't. And she just screamed at me. She goes, you were on 13 weeks of network television. You don't get in your car for less than $1,000. Nice. And <laughs> when she said that... <laughs> I was like, oh, God, you're right. And she's like, just say no. I said, but what if I, I can't pay my rent? She goes, trust me, just say no. And, and you know, I, I learned how to set my price because of her. Right. That's cool. That's great. It's, it's good to have that. My price is I'd be, I'd be happy to get a couple of drinks and a steak dinner. <laughs> a bur I'll take chopped beef. <laughs> I oh, I, believe me, we used to have, there were some gigs that, that they paid you just in a meal, but yes. we would judge it. I'd say, well, you know, you get ribs if you do uh, this one, but if, <laughs> yes. if you go there, you're just going to get like wings. Let's go, let's go to the place that you can get ribs. There you go. Good gig. You still have those addresses? Well, you got to go up to New York for that, right? Is that, that did you, you started off everything in, in Manhattan and New York, right? New York and, uh, you know, the other thing that, that helped me as a comic, I, I don't know if there's young comics listening, but it is as cliche as, as it may sound, I had to buy a car. You know, having a car made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I, the first time I made a little bit of money um, and I, I, could, I set aside $2,000 and I bought my first car and that helped me an enormous amount because I was able to, um, you know, drive to open mics where there would be a real audience. I didn't have to just do open mics in Manhattan. I could do open mics in Long Island. I could do open mics in New Jersey. Uh, I could drive to Connecticut, you know, for 50 bucks. And it, I think that that kind of uh, direction made a lot more sense than me because I'm not all that friendly. Like, I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to hand out flyers in the, you know, mail room and say, please come to my comedy show. I'm hilarious. Right. Never been, it's, I'm, you know, it hurts me as a social networker because I hate writing on, I'll, if I'm on television, I'll say, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon, I'll say, watch me on TV tonight. Whereas, you know, somebody else will talk about it on Facebook for, for three or four days. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I admire it. I totally admire it. I just, I get so embarrassed. Embarrassed? embarrassed yeah. Why embarrassed? You know, I, listen, we live in this world now where you have to be an amazing uh, networker. You have to market yourself. You have right. to be, you know, your own PR agent. And I, I come from this sort of school of thought that it's like I want people to tell me I'm great. I don't want to tell people I'm great. You tell me I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You, you want to earn their respect and then have them come back to I you. I do. With it. it's, it's not working out. Trust me, I, I'm sitting here waiting for the phone to ring. What are you talking and, about? Uh, you, you, know, are, you are on the Let's Be Frank show. This is like the high point of I know. the year. I, thank God only, you called to tell me I'm great. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't know today. L luckily, well, it's only seven days into the year. If you look at it this way, you, you, you're, stand, you're continuing on a great tradition of great first-of-the-year guests. Because last year when we started, we had Jackie Mason. And so this year we got you as our first guest of the year. So, Oh, well. That's, I don't know if that's, that's actually complimented. He was very much, or, if you watch my stand-up, I think it's pretty obvious he was a strong influence. Okay, yes. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So she does have that nice kosher girl sound to her during her yeah. show. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's an incredible you know comic. I mean, he's just so funny. He yeah. wasn't. You know, he, he really was, is. He was one of the really the first person I interviewed that uh, actually said gracious things to me during the interview about how I did it. So I was like, oh. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, you know, and then, you know, when he came down, I had interviewed him because he was coming down to the area to do a show. So when he came, and he stayed on the show with me for like 35 or 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. He stayed on for a while. Yeah. And uh, then when I met him that day at the show, he was just talking about how much he liked it. And really, I mean, for a guy who was about 80 years old or so, full, full of life, fun. I mean, it was amazing to me to watch him be on the stage for two hours. And he never took a sip of water. You see guys, <laughs> you see guys on stage and ladies on stage, and they, they're taking a drink after five minutes. And I asked him, "What's up with the drinks?" And he goes, "I'm just talking. What do I need a drink? Oh, I'm not sweating on, on the football field." <laughs> so, because you know, I, I don't know about yourself. Do you, do you bring something to drink with you when you're in the bar or at a no. comedy club? You don't bring anything on stage. No, but I, we always we all, all always have a joke. Like if you if you're gonna have to follow somebody tough. You say I had to follow. I had to follow a big guy, and let's just put it this way: he had a towel, <laughs> <laughs> which means he was very high energy and not easy to follow. You know, every so yeah, often absolutely. you'll you'll be on the road and you'll have you know a middle act who's going on before you, and he's you know a guy that is popular in the area, mm-hmm. and you know he's a big guy and he sweats and he's got a towel and he you know he tries to make it hard for you to. You follow him, and you know it, it. You learn techniques, but it's for, whenever I explain it to another comedian, I'll be like, "Yeah, let's just put it this way: the towel was soaked." <laughs> now I am a very large gentleman, but I have not had to bring a towel on stage with me yet. Maybe I need to amp well. up the energy. <laughs> I need. I need. Well, with some of the new ways of that, my jokes are going because I always just did fat guy jokes and a little bit of fat guy dating humor. Where now I'm going to be getting into some of my past where, you know, when I was a young kid and doing drugs and doing crazy stuff with my friends. So maybe I'll be a little more energy with with that and I'll have to bring a towel. I hope not. (laughs) I don't want to be the big, fat, sweaty guy on stage. That would be horrible. Well, I'll probably follow you. (laughs) Oh, that. If I was middle acting for anybody, that would be phenomenal. That's why I would need a uh, a towel from the excitement. I'm still. I'm still the the guest spot opener. Lucky to be the MC sometimes. Apparently not in the last two and a half months because I suck. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this is this is riveting. I, I I'm looking forward to uh, your return. Your... <laughs> Hopefully, I I think I, by the end of January I'll have a good a new five or ten minutes about all my old stuff about all the old material that I want to write or my old life. He'll be sure to Facebook it weeks on end before it happens. Good, 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 good. I'm going to do a joke on Thursday. (laughs) It's bad enough that I blast my show once a week in all different comedy groups all across the country. Uh, Some groups get mad. They're like, how come you never talk to us? I'm like, I just want to post my thing in there and you guys watch me. I don't want to have to. I I just want to handle it like Corey would handle it. I don't want to have to talk to you. Just listen to it and tell me how great I am. Doesn't, right. Doesn't well, happen. I get some comments here and there. People respond and talk to me on the, you know, they they respond, but they're not cheering me on like I'm the rock star that I think I am. Well, are you a middle child? <laughs> Absolutely. So you're uh, you're looking for some attention. Absolutely, I am the middle child in a Jewish family, but the only fortunate thing for me was I was too fat. So my, I couldn't get my brother's hand-me-downs. They had to buy me all my own shit. <laughs> so I got everything new. Where you have, you know, normally when you're the middle child and you got an older brother, you get all the hand-me-downs. Couldn't do it. That was the only perk of being fat as a kid. That's well, you hard. know, you're really one to find the silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you a little bit about some of the uh, the late shows you were on because you've done – the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, and then you've recently done The Letterman Show too, right? 
Actually, I just did Ferguson last month again. I did okay. Ferguson six six times. I've been on Ferguson. That's awesome. And um, they're very nice to me. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, but they're, you know. And I believe that, that that's the reason why I got Letterman, you know, because I did Ferguson like four times. And at that point, I just put all four Fergusons on a tape and I sent it in, and I was like, listen, I'm on the show that's right after yours, and it's on your network, and you own it. So I'm already you here. just consider me? Because it was really, really hard to get Letterman for me. It took me so – I mean, I, I auditioned 11 times. Wow. Every, you know, and to the uh, booking – uh, person at Letterman's credit, I bombed most of the time. So it wasn't really like they had much to go on. Nice. I, I think I wanted it too badly. And then um, when I finally did it, it was it was one of the few things in my career that actually lived up to the expectation. It was really, it was exciting. It it, it just, it was a rush. Uh, it, you know, there was one of those, I, I, every sentence got an applause, but it was crazy. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I you would, could hear how well, because I watched it today, how well you went over on the show. It, it was phenomenal from the audience and the crowd, how well they took to it. It was great. It, it was, you know, probably just, it was a perfect storm. And we were, you know, I was my age. Everybody in the audience was pretty much my age. And um, I, I, I spoke to the crowd to you know, I spoke to their sensibilities and it was, you know, it was, it was a very nice kind of, uh, closure, uh, right. certainly on something that I had, I had, uh, been trying to get for so long. It just goes to show you, if you put laser beam focus on something <laughs> that you really want, you can get it. Now I spent 14 years of laser beam focus to get Letterman. Had I put laser beam focus into say, I don't know, writing a novel, I might actually, you know, I have an apartment that has two bathrooms now. <laughs> I, I don't know that I always pick the right focus, but it you know it goes to show you that creative visualization does pay off. Right. Absolutely. So I got a question for you. When you were done with Letterman, um, at at the end of, of your set, David comes out to the center, and you know he applauds with everybody, and then he whispers in your ear. What did he whisper? Well, he shook my hand. And he held on to my hand. I don't know if that's obvious in the tape, which was, I can't tell you how grateful I was because I was, I was shaking after the set. You know, it was, it was something that, you know, he worked so, such adrenaline. I kind of needed to hold on and he just held on to me. And he said audibly, uh, very funny, but he, did, he leaned in and he said, um, uh, great job. That's awesome. That's nice. And it was very funny because Bill Burr, who did the did the show the week before me, um, emailed me after the set, and he goes, "You got very funny. That's huge," which was really sweet. And I, you know, I, I it means a lot certainly coming from Bill because, you know, it's somebody that I I was in clubs with a lot, saw each other, you know, when he was in New York, I saw him probably every night that I performed. So it was nice to have that um, come from him. Absolutely. I really am more impressed with the, you know, with the approval of my peers, which is kind of a problem. I'm, I'm not great with industry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not great with the audience. I just want comics to like me, which is, you know, the comics are, you know, they're miserable people. We're yeah. all adult children of, of alcoholics and child abusers. You know what I mean? So I don't know why. Only I'm the so successful ones. <laughs> the successful ones are us, us somewhat normal people who who can't, you know, I had two parents we're, growing we're not up. normal, brother. I, I can't, I can't make. Can't make it work. Why didn't my daddy beat me? <laughs> Dad, you should have beat me. I'd have been a better comic today. I wouldn't have to have a corporate job. Well, you know, I, I listen. I made that joke, but then everybody yells at me and says that's not true. Look at, you know, Mike Birbiglia had nice parents, and you know, I, I don't know. I hear a lot of things that contradict my feeling about that. However, that said, my sense, whenever I go to like a party, like a, like a holiday party in one of these comedy clubs, and it's, it's a lot of comics sort of walking around, I mean, it, to me, it just looks like everybody has like a mild form of either Asperger's <laughs> or ADD or ADHD or depression and, you know, or, you know, sex addiction. I don't know. Everybody just seems like they're a mess walking around. But then you put them on stage and they're magical. Mm. I think statistics... Uh, Statistically, you're definitely correct because most of the people that I talk to over the last year or so talk about a little bit of messed up backgrounds, 
but I need to know the person that you said had a sex addiction, and uh, is she a female? Because I need to work with people that have <laughs> sex addictions because that, right. that could help my love life. Uh, I, all of them, I unfortunately were men. And uh, when I say sex addiction, I mean they actually go to comedy clubs to get laid. <laughs> they, you know what I mean? They, wow, when I, nice. they, I mean, they do, they do stand up to get laid. Um, nice. I think Conan O'Brien recently was interviewed. He said, you know, most of what male comics do stand up for in the very beginning is to get girls attention. I mean, they have nothing else going for them. Pretty much. It's definitely helped out. It's helped out my profile on Match.com greatly. I get, nice. I get more interest on Match.com. <laughs> oh, my God. You should see some of the people that get laid. You go to yourself, really? <laughs> well, he's a headliner. You know what I mean? Whatever it takes, man. You, you got to take advantage of whatever door swings open sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just make sure you got it your It doesn't head. work for girls, though, I have to tell you. They, yeah, they, yeah. They've never been – there have been very few – I, I think once or twice in my whole career, someone's come up to me and like, what are you doing later? You want to get a drink? That's 20 years, folks. 20, 20 years, years, years and you've only had two offers to get some while you've been doing stand-up? One was, a, one was an, a, a colossally huge age difference. Wow. And the guy was very, very young. And, uh, you know, like almost like hilarious. I, I wouldn't trust this kid with laundry. That's how young he was. <laughs> and he was calling. And then once... Once was a, um, I was doing like this, uh, I can't explain it. It was like a, a club where people go who want to relive summer camp, but like <laughs> <laughs> it's all singles. Oh my God. It was the craziest. Oh, crazy. It was like this place in the, in, in, in Connecticut where people, it's kind of like club med, but it's right. in Connecticut and you know, I, I got up on stage and I was like, you people, you know, you people all peaked in summer camp, didn't you? And you're trying to, re- you're trying to find it again. And, the, you know, that was the one, I think I, I think I got hit on by uh, the bicycle instructor. Nice. He, yeah. he asked you to come back to his bunk? Yeah. He, just, he asked me, did. Get the top bunk, kidding? right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. He so, had to come to my bunk because he shared a bunk. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know that's just that's just the you know it's much easier for lesbian lesbians get a lot of action. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, you know that, again a really smart career move would have been if I had gone the lesbian route, but um, I, I really have a lot of handicaps. Yeah, Magic. I sleep with men. Yeah. You know they're, I'm they're... looking for comedians' approval. <laughs> I, you know if I was just a lesbian who was very good at marketing herself, I'd be a huge star. So now you mentioned uh, Bill Burr, somebody you you saw a lot when you were in the city. Who else are some of the people that you, uh, I guess, started with that are that are still out there today? I mean, is it like I mean? I mean oh, it's this is really even more depressing. I started really? with um, Judah Friedlander, who's oh, wow. on Thirty Rock. Um, certainly, you know, in my open mic days, a person I saw frequently was uh, um, Greg Giraldo. And he's no longer with us. Yeah. And um, Gaffigan was it was in our sphere, but mm-hmm. Gaffigan had been doing it maybe a year or two before me. Okay. And um, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it. I have <laughs> heard, you know, but uh, I'm trying to think. You know, how to you spell know his my, last name my school. That's that's who it was. It was wow. it was uh, Greg Geraldo. It was uh, Judah Friedlander. Me. Um, you know that was that was our class. Good cool. company to be in, man. It's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So, are there any favorite cities that you like to work in? Is there anything in particular? Favorite cities? Interesting. Um, well, the the only city that I think is, you know, it's worth working in is New York City. Yeah. But that isn't to say there aren't some clubs that I really like around the country. Uh, right. and I love the I love the club in Columbus. Uh, I really enjoy uh, the DC improv. I just don't do them anymore because I, I need to make you know I need to make a living. So I, I tend to do a lot of corporate and associations and you know award award type you know fundraising type shows, and that's how I make a living. I, I do like the San Francisco clubs. 
I like the Los Angeles clubs. They they can be okay. Um, they they can be fun. Uh, how do you find preparing for the corporate gigs and different from preparing for a club show? You know, it's been actually a, a really fun exercise because I learned that I could work clean, and it was a tremendous sort of lesson that clean isn't just not saying the F word or the S word or the P word. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Clean really means you, you have to like, you can go not, you've got to go before the line. And when you do a corporate gig, they don't just want it to be PG 13. They really want it to be PG. It's hilarious. <laughs> like you can do innuendo, but you, you wouldn't even want to do stuff that they're doing in the 10 o'clock hour on television. Wow. And, and they don't want anything that is, uh, going to alienate anyone in the audience. Like I did a, I did a joke about how we owe China so much money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the banks and I, I, the, you know, the bid is where the, you know, what if the bank calls from China and they want their money? And it was, you know, I, I had to do it in a Chinese accent and I, I was told not to do that anymore. I mean, you know, and it was completely wow. clean and it wasn't really, I mean, I'm saying, I don't think they're going to be offended China or Chinese <laughs> people. Cause I'm saying they own our country. I don't really think they're going to be offended. But I, yeah, you got to be careful. Wow. Um, Just stating facts over here. China owns us. Just stating <laughs> some facts. It's it's very funny. Every, and then everybody, there's certain things that you can get away with. I can't explain it. You, know, you can't you can't make fun of uh, you can't make fun of um, certain ethnicities. But then some are okay. I, it's hard to explain. You have to you just have to learn to work really clean. And I do a lot of gigs in Florida because. I don't know if you know this, but there's a significant number of people over age 65 in Florida. We have and, uh, I don't know if you've noticed. And I work Florida a lot. And they like jokes about sex. They just don't want you to say what, like, you just can't say the actual, you just sort of have to skirt around it. So they, I, I, I always yell at them. I'm like, you're so dirty, the, you people. You just don't want me to say penis. <laughs> So nice. what what parts of Florida do you come down to? I guess Miami a lot. No, I very little in Miami. Miami's too hip now for for my group. You know, <laughs> Miami's like yeah. you know, Miami's like I, it's like Long Island now. It's 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 you know everybody's young and hot and has great bodies. Um, I'm That's more why I don't get any gigs to, down there. <laughs> what? That's why I don't get any gigs down there. I'm old and fat. I'm not yeah, hot. you have to be. Are you kidding? You have to be like super hot. You have to be Dane Cook down there. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I do Fort Lauderdale. I do Delray, Boynton, Boca. Oh yeah, you know that whole area. I mean, there's just there's a lot of work. It's becoming the new Catskills for us. Oh, there nice. you go. <laughs> and I, you know, a lot of people don't realize how significant the Catskills were to comedy in the beginning. I mean. I, I was fortunate to grow grow up in the foothills of the Catskills in Orange County, but I mean, so many people, uh, you know, your buddy Hackett's and that whole genre or j- that whole era started there. Hey, I mean, Seinfeld, was, yeah, Seinfeld, yeah. you know, did the Catskills. Let's not forget that. I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, I saw billboards of Seinfeld at the Concord yeah. when I was driving uh, on 17 in New York. It was a it was a great time. Unfortunately, the Catskills have fallen apart without all that hotel and uh, all the comedians and just that whole industry died in that area. Well, think- you know, it died because they couldn't get the license to do the gambling, and all the right. gambling mm-hmm. went to uh, Connecticut, Connecticut, and Jersey. And now they have uh, in the Monticello racetrack. Now you can do the video poker of all the different games, but. It's all through video poker, no actual card games. Yeah, and that so. doesn't that doesn't appeal to the uh, the uh, discerning to the, Jew. Yeah. Trust no. me. <laughs> nope. But the discerning it, Jew wants to see you know girls in a nice you know uniform and uh, you know free drinks and you know they, they don't want to see video poker. Absolutely not. It, it, I mean, it gets a turn out of people, but there's no entertainment like in casinos. I mean, the only thing they have there is a buffet. That's what people from Sullivan County, they want to go to the buffet. Nice. So, <laughs> you know, because there's still plenty of old Jews in Sullivan County mm-hmm. and Orange True. County. And they go, but it would be nice to see. I think the Concord was actually, most of it was taken down. The Neville, uh I think that burnt down. There's all sorts of craziness. It looks like a ghost town up there. 
it does. It does. The Concord, they 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 are spending some upwards of I think two hundred thousand dollars a year to try to maintain the golf course because they want to sell it. Mm-hmm. They're, tr- they're still trying to sell it. It's 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 like weird. You drive through you know this dilapidated area and then all of a sudden you'll see this stunning, stunning property and it's the Concord but without the sign anymore. Right, but it's now very sad. The golf course at the Concord isn't it still part of one of the PGA tours? That's Maybe. One of the- I mean, it, it was that it was that quality of a golf course. It was there for a while. Uh, I don't know right. if it still is, but it's amazing to watch things change. But the, you know, those screwed up parts of life are what give Corey things to talk about on stage. Definitely. You know, um, is, this, is this interview getting depressing? Let's 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 lighten it up. <laughs> Come on. You want well, to talk about Downton Abbey? No, oh, don't watch that, yeah, do you? No, no, I do not. Okay. We, we I always like right. how Craig Ferguson is so excited whenever he says anything about Downton Abbey. Have you seen it? Oh, my God. But no, I don't watch <laughs> it now, unfortunately. But, no. I, I was reading uh, a little bit about Honey Boo Boo and her mom today. She's not on Downton yeah. Abbey, just so you know. No, but I, I was reading about it because I guess people are worried about the finances. So I, uh-huh. the, she had to explain herself how she doesn't take any of the money and all the money is automatically put into accounts for the kids that she doesn't have access to. Yeah. She's like, I don't want anybody thinking I'm take, you know, doing the wrong thing by the kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, damn it. You're doing the wrong thing by just letting your kid be who she is. Yeah. <laughs> Forget the money aspect with that girl. You know what? I, I can't even blame the mom. I mean, honestly... It's the learning channel. That's what they're putting on the learning channel. What are we learning? <laughs> that you need to go to a dentist once a year? That's really the lesson. Yeah, it is amazing what they have on TV. I should have a TV show by now. Bachelor Kitchen or something. Oh, it, it, listen, the, the, the worst thing you could possibly do in this stage is to try and make it through the traditional roots of show business. Mm-hmm. If you could possibly be like the, you know, the funniest uh, owner of a tackle shop, you could get a show. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, really? Yeah, I mean, uh, you much. know, I used to be a catering manager. I, I mean, I could have been on a show called Cater Waiters. I'd probably nice. be a bigger star if I had just stayed as a cater waiter. But go. no, I thought, no, I want to work hard. <laughs> I want to, I want to pay my dues in show business. No, no. Now they, they, they want people who own a pawn shop. That they're yeah. going straight to the top. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> or you got to build oh, motorcycles, man. or or that. What about what the stuff? auction, whatever storage wars, right? And storage wars. And, yeah, oh, you man. you become a clutterer. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even, you know, or a hoarder. Oh man. I, you know, by the way, I'm hoarding episodes of hoarders. <laughs> that's how much I love that show. Nice. It, it it is a filthy, disgusting show that sometimes I I can't even watch the whole thing. Like I can't believe some of the stuff that they like. This I was in this one house, or I was watching the show on this one house, and it was like a hundred or a hundred and fifty rats living in the house with nice. the guy. He was hoarding the rats right. too, and he was feeding the rats. Like oh, he, he was happy to have them. They were pets. They would nibble on his toes. I guess I don't know. It was. I, well, no. I mean, if you don't put your food in a garbage can and you just put it over the side of the chair. Uh, you know, uh, Quibbler. Is that your name, Quibbles? (laughs) I like that, Quibbler. They just come up and eat it like kibble, Quibbles. (laughs) Anyway. So so that's, that's that's, you know, that's that's the state of of entertainment as it is right now. It's it's just kind of a, it's a funny, it's a funny time to be alive. Yeah. Well, well, since we're talking about TV, can we talk about some of the other shows you've been on? Um, Sure, go ahead. Like, um, and I'm, I'm mostly curious about how, what kind of prep work went into some of these shows, like uh, the Comics Unleashed with Byron Allen. And it, it, that show, every time I turned it on, it seems like he's trying to do an interview to kind of get you into doing your own material, which it, an interesting it is interesting little so, show. It's a sort of... totally forced uh, scenario is yeah. all I can tell you. I mean, you literally say these are the setup questions that will get me into my bit. Okay. And that's that's how he wants to do it, and and you know it's kind of entertaining. He, you know, sometimes it really works, and it does seem like it's in a, in, an interview. Yeah. But I, that's so rare. I mean, when somebody when he says, you know, so what do you think about Jimmy Carter? And somebody starts doing an impression, you know, I, okay, I think that might be from his act, because you know okay. that's like yeah. from twenty years ago. Um, 
that it's one of the easiest shows to do. I mean, they're really lovely and they just say, you know, give us the setup lines and, and Byron's going to hand them to you. And, um, that, you know, that was, that was actually just, just a pleasure. Yeah. You know, the joke, the shows that I have to work re- I had to work really hard to prepare for was definitely tough crowd, mm-hmm. which I did a lot. I mean, you know, cause it's four comics and they're all comics that work the comedy cellar and they're all, you know, Technically, they're roast comics is basically what they are. So if you don't have something ready to go, you know, hard and fast and smart, because that's what I would have to go with. I wasn't going to go with insulting. I would have to go with hard, fast, and smart. That's how I stayed on the show. Nice. Now, you were also on. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no. I I was going to say politically incorrect was was like that, too. There was a lot of prep. Mm. Politically correct, you you know, you're sitting there sweating because they don't give you the, the actual topics until, like, five o'clock the day before oh, really? and sometimes not not until 10 a.m. the day of so you're you know you're, you're all you're doing is like desperately trying to write material in a very very short time and, and you were on a bunch of episodes of politically incorrect right uh yeah i did it five times um what? unfortunately this the, the new show i'm really not famous enough for he he has the luxury now on hbo to to use you know really i mean yeah. mostly the people are pundits so, and I'm not a pundit. I'm really a joker. Right. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, I've come with, you know, with experience of doing the show. You can't always have the greatest people on. You want to have a celebrity on my show every single time, but it's just not going to happen. But we Sorry, have, folks. Well, no, but you are a great <laughs> national, but you're a great national touring comedian with a lot of insight into comedy that you don't necessarily get when you talk to those celebrities some of the celebrities you know they still remember where they came from you know uh you talk with a bobby slayton and he could he'll rip into you like he knows you 20 years and right. every time he's on the show was he's called in a couple of times he, mm-hmm. he treats me like i'm his redheaded stepchild son and just <laughs> destroys me but you know then you get the times when you get to speak to someone like yourself who's been doing it 20 years and is well versed in the industry and just has a lot of great insight into what's going on and the background of comedy and you get to learn Bob, a lot. Bobby, Bobby Slayton, if you actually do ever sit down with him in a very quiet way, I mean, he has such an incredibly uh, vast um, take on stand-up and the, and the science of, of, of comedy. He's, he's astute. You, yes. you wouldn't necessarily think so. I mean, he's one of those people where I, if he's on stage and I'm in the vicinity, I, I go in the room to listen because I, I know I'm going to laugh. I'm probably going to be offended, but I'm going to laugh. <laughs> and yeah. it's funny. I saw him towards the middle of last year because he, he had come down to do the Tampa Improv. Uh, so I went out to see him, and, you know, we shook hands. It was nice to talk to him. But watching him on stage, I mean, sometimes I didn't know if he knew what he was doing because he's just going in so many different directions, and he's picking on gay guys and black guys and fat people and just <laughs> – he doesn't. He he harasses everybody, and then he makes sure at the end he goes back to that person and picks on them again before they leave the show. So it, I mean, it's it was very amusing to watch him, but I mean, he just runs around the stage like he's crazy, and it's it's very entertaining. I, I was I was impressed by how much energy that old man still has. Well, you know, he was an '80s comic. He was yes. he was in that whole yeah. Kinnison, you know. Let's let's go to my car because it's easier to do cocaine there because the light's stronger. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I I really sometimes I, I it, it kills me that I miss those days. You know, just, just I started in '92, so I wasn't in any of those groups or clubs. Right. I, I guess it would have been fun just to have been there for like one year of the of the bad naughty behavior that just was just a couple all of lines here and there maybe prevalent. The, yeah. the only thing scary is though, if you if you were there in the eighties, would you yeah. have made you know some of the, like could you, would you have made it to the nineties? You could have gotten so far off the track because of the drugs. You know, it, it's kind yeah, of one of those but things. You know, for me, drugs is it's never going to take because uh, I don't know my my situation is I I don't like to do anything that enhances eating because I already have such a tremendous appetite and when you smoke pot it makes you want to eat mm. eh, I don't need that and when you do cocaine as soon as you come down it makes you you're starving I I don't need that so for me it's always like fun to be part of it for a few weeks and then I I need to clean up and maybe that's why I always, I keep having children children always <laughs> keep me clean and and I see you you have a, a big gap in between when you have your kids you like to wait a couple yeah. of years in between like 20 
Yes, yes. <laughs> and is what do you have? Well, I, I have a, I, there's a twenty year age difference. My son is, uh, you know, my son is eight. My daughter's twenty eight. Wow. Yeah, and you know, a, a lot of that is because uh, I agreed that we should try to have a second. You know, we should try to have a kid. My my, you know, my second husband. Because I really didn't think uh, scientifically it was possible, and uh, but what you, I didn't realize about my husband was that uh, he used to play hockey, and you know the, those guys they shoot they score it's really simple. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was shocked. I, even my doctor was like, "What are you using for birth control?" And I said, "My age." Uh, hey, just be just be thankful he didn't give you a hat trick. I mean, that would have been really. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that I know what that means. Uh, three, basically. <laughs> three <laughs> points. You wouldn't have wanted triplets. <laughs> you, you would not have any time to do comedy or holy cow. Could you imagine having triplets after 20 years? It's got to oh, be hard no, enough just with, with one after 20 years. You're like, shit, I'm wiping asses again other than mine? Oh, triplets, forget. I would have. <laughs> they would have had to put me away. <laughs> Anybody want to adopt two kids? <laughs> we got three. I do not need this many. Well, you know, the, the, because I'm an older mom and some of the women that are of my generation, they all have twins because they had to do it, you know, with assistance from technology. Mm-hmm. You with me? Yes. And, you know, so here's this happens constantly. My son will be friends with one of the twins. Then I have a birthday party. I can't invite just one of the twins. I got to invite both <laughs> these twins. And guess what? These, these twins show up with one gift. Now, paradoxically, <laughs> when my son gets invited to the to their birthday party, I got to bring two gifts. I, it's it's a rip off every which way with these twins. I don't. These people don't know how to how to act. You know, I, I want to go. You know, it's not my fault that you had to have doubles. I only want one of them to come to the party. It's it's, <laughs> an, it's such a nightmare. I love when I see families and they have two kids of the same sex and they're very close in age and then they have the baby in the stroller and you know that they, they were just, they were gambling to get the one, you know, they, they have two boys, they were gambling to get the girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I, and, and, you know, sadly, a lot of people have, you know, three boys or three girls and you just want to go over to the table and go, oh, gambled, gambled and lost. <laughs> you rolled the dice, huh? <laughs> Too bad. That, I, you know, it's so scary. I'm 40 years old, and I couldn't even. I mean, I've never been married, and I don't have any kids. I, I don't know. I'm like, wow, 40. Maybe it's too late. Maybe I'm done. No, no not t- for guys. I don't know. Yeah, but I kidding? gotta have the energy. I don't want to just dump everything off on the wife. You know. Eh, you'd be surprised. Kids give you a lot of energy. Mm. Kids give you. A, you're not too old. No, maybe. Again, it's just like anything in life. If you want, if you put laser beam focus into, <laughs> you know, finding. He has some laser, laser beam focus in the practicing of the making of the kids, not yes. necessarily the after effects of that said making. Yes, uh, I have a huge actually having. Kids. I own stock in Trojan. <laughs> I would say he has laser beam focus in uh, in part of. Making the baby, but <laughs> yes. not the, you know, he's not going all the way. Not the after, but yeah. I just want to practice, practice, practice. Well, here's the, listen, Frank, you want to tell you the secret? The yes. secret is you got to find somebody that you find remotely attractive, right? That's the first thing. You try, try to find somebody that you, you are remotely attracted to and then just settle. That's it. That's the secret <laughs> to finding... Screw love, screw emotions, just somebody you could deal with, whatever. You'll do. Seriously. I mean, you're going to end up, okay, so it doesn't work out, then you go with somebody else. You're going to have the same problems with each person. You know, try to pick somebody that you find attractive. And, and, and that, you know, you, you don't want somebody that, like, you, you know, has a terrible, terrible uh, temper, something like that. But other than that, See, everybody is... comes with baggage, and you just have to, at your age, you've got to accept a lot of baggage. You've got to be looking at steamer trunks. And rolly bags, you know what I mean? See, this is the exact opposite. I always thought I had to find somebody that was willing to put up with me or find me remotely attractive. I thought that no, was that's asking that's, a yeah. lot. Sure. I mean, that, that's the low self-esteem approach. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I put up the fake bios on Match.com and use pictures of my friends when they were younger to steer girls in. Right. Yeah, but you don't have to. You're a guy, and you're 40, and you're single, that is enough in South Florida to get some serious uh, action. It's funny. I've never been fatter, and I 
do pick up more girls than I ever did. I'm fat, I'm 40, and I'm employed. That makes me like prime rib. And you're not married. Absolutely. You know, women should realize that fat is, I mean, it's, fat is the way America is going. Just find out how popular I am now. Join, join the Fat Davy Brigade. Well, seeing how employed isn't the way America is going, but. Yeah, well, I'm still employed. I haven't employed. lost my that's job good. yet. That's I'm what you got going for you. I'm employed. Are you and kidding? I, hell yeah. I obviously eat enough for two or three, so yeah. I have room for, like, I could pay for someone else's food. Nice. <laughs> he's, he's like Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> and where's my Nikon? Uh, he looks like he ate Ashton Kutcher. Just ate you know. no. Yeah, I, want, I need my commercial now. My Ashton. He had the pop chips and Demi Moore and Nikon cameras. He's got everything. Yeah. You know, it's funny when he when he got that first Nikon commercial. I was I was laying in bed with my husband, and I turned to my husband. And I go, yeah, I could see why people find him attractive. <laughs> 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 and he's like, Oh, you just coming to that now? And I said, Yeah, but you know what? I'm always late to the party. I really I I, I get it now. I see why they find him. Uh, he's you know he's easy on their eyes. <laughs> you know, I always discover everything late. I just discovered Depeche Mode. I, I'm always late. <laughs> <laughs> so, Corey, we are actually getting ready to end an hour. Can you believe it? The wow, show goes by pretty been, quick. It's been great. And to everyone listening, and I, I'm so glad that you were able to spend this time with Frank and me and Quibbles. <laughs> it's, just, it's been special. And, uh, you know, people can follow me on Twitter. This is one of the greatest things because I'm uh, this one I will actually promote at CoreyCojones.com. All right. Now you said no. Co- it's not. It's at, it's, it's if the Twitter's just at, at Corey Cojones. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. And and how often are you on there? Do you tweet every day with people? You- I tweet every day. I tweet every day. Cool. All right. Yeah. Now do you you, you still update where you're going to be on your on the Corey Cahane no. website? No. No. I, just I all no Twitter all the time. No. I want pe- I want it to be a scavenger hunt for people. Yes. All right. If you want to do a scavenger hunt with Corey Kahaney, visit her on Twitter. And you're somewhere in this country. You too can see Corey Kahaney. And you can get there from her website if you can't remember yes. anything else. That's right. And it, and because it's not your, it's not Corey Kahaney. It's at Corey Cajones. Or yeah, how, how are you saying that again? Well, you know, I have a bit of my act about how. Nobody could ever get my. When I worked in restaurants, nobody could get my name right because it was Kahaney, but they would call me Mr. Cajones. Okay. And you're so actually... it's Corey Cajones. It's C A J O N E S. Pretty there easy. There you go. I'm going to follow you right now. I you just probably did. won't. Right. You probably won't follow me back because nobody ever does. I'm a loser. But you know. You're not a loser. You said people constantly uh, send you messages. You just don't respond. I'm just trying to make myself sound bad so you look better. Oh, all right. <laughs> I want you to be the high life. I suck. I'm only halfway decent at interviewing people. Did I have any ums and uhs in there today? It, probably. Probably. First day know. back after three weeks. you got to shake a little of the ums and ahs off. It's okay. No problem. How did I do, Corey? Am I anywhere I near? You, as... I didn't hear any ums or ahs. Am, am I up there with David Letterman, or I got a couple of weeks to go still? Well, I wasn't interviewed by Letterman yet. Oh, good. That'll give there me something go. to focus on. Laser That'll focus. That'll give me my next goal is Laser to get on focus. panel with Letterman. There you go. Like, there we so go. you didn't All get right. to sit your ass on the couch. You only got to stand, do your stand-up. Correct. That's the goal. There we go. to, you need your butt cheeks to land where all the other movie stars and comedians' butt cheeks have been before. And it started That's right true. here on Let's Be Frank. Let's Be Frank, everyone. Have a fantastic 2013. I need you to go too. watch TV. All right. Thank you very much <laughs> for spending for some here. time with us, Corey. You had a great time. And I'll send you a copy of the show in case you want to send it out to the millions and millions of the Kahaney fans. My pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. You All have right. a good night, and we'll speak to you good soon. Good night. Bye. So that was a great interview. That was fantastic. We were going to close out the show with that. Yeah. Uh Everybody, I'm check out. Glad to be here for that one. That was pretty cool. So. Definitely. And my show, sir, we're moving on. We've come to the end of another edition of the Let's Be Frank show. To catch up on past shows, find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podomatic at Let's Be Frank's Podcast. Want to be part of the show? Email Dave at 
Let's Be Frank with Dave Frank at Yahoo.com. Stay funny, my friends. See you next week. That was another fine show from ComedySlamRadio.com, where we put the .com in common.